Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Mike Wolf here. Welcome to the Smart Home Week in Review for the week ending August 30th. I'm super happy to have Richard Gunther, the host of the Home On podcast at the Digital Media Zone with me today. How are you doing, Richard? I'm doing very well, Mike. Thanks for inviting me to join you. I had you on my show a couple of weeks ago, and we had a great discussion about what was going on in the space, and I'm looking forward to another one today. Yeah, and I've... Uh I've, I, I've been thinking I need to do more kind of wrap-ups of what's going on. And so I did that last week with a, a, an old friend, Julie Jacobson, who was suitably cranky. Like, she, you know, she, <laughs> she, she, she wasn't overly cranky. But, you know, in our pre-conversation, Richard, you said you're a little bit, a little bit cranky on some of the topics we're t- going to talk about today. So I encourage you to be the cranky geek. Uh, and I hope John Dvorak doesn't sue us for saying that. But you could be the cranky geek today. <laughs> I may just end up doing that. <laughs> it seems like every week. I could say this, but it was a pretty active week in terms of smart home news. And so I'm going to start with, though, a topic that I've been following pretty closely. And and this may be one I have a feeling you may be a little bit cranky on because they've been taking a while to get the product out. So August finally shipped their Wi-Fi smart lock. I think six, you know, at least over six months past their, the date they're originally expecting to ship or maybe more. Yeah. And they finally got it out. Now, I think the reason it took so while, so long is it's a Wi-Fi smart lock. I mean, all the, you know, you've seen a lot of Z-Wave and Zigbee locks out there, and the the first wave of Bluetooth locks are out there, but the this is really the first Wi-Fi smart lock to ship. So, uh, but uh, you've been waiting for it for a while. Are you a little bit? Is it like what took you so long? Well, I don't think it's so much the waiting on this. This just strikes me as yet another one of these automated lock solutions that I. I I have to see it in real life. I have to get a feel for whether this actually makes sense or not. And from what I've read and what I've seen about the product so far, I'm just not convinced on this one yet. And part of it is this thing is honking big on the inside of your door. It's big. And it's bigger some, than some of the other ones. Um, some of the competitive solutions like the Dana Lock, for example, coming out of Europe, it's bigger than that one. Um but it's, you know, it, and and I think honestly the the reason it took so long is like they wanted to do a Wi-Fi lock isn't quite there from a power consumption perspective uh, relative to Bluetooth. I still think that's that's there's a delta there. But yeah, you're right. I think it's it's a little bit it's a little bit uh, big and chunky. Yeah. Now, if you live in a contemporary space, and you'll notice on their promotional materials that it's shown with contemporary door hardware. Maybe it fits in a little bit better, but I think one of the biggest factors here that's going to be a big impediment to adoption in a lot of homes is just that that family acceptance factor. This is going to be a hard sell for some people. 
you know, it took me a while to convince my wife to go with uh, our Kivo lock just because right. the Kivo. The and, Kivo, but the Kivo is great, and, it, and it, it actually looks like a lock, right? And it's different. I mean, people should know that there's differences. The August lock is basically kind of an overlay, whereas the Kivo, you do have to swap out the actual lock assembly and hardware. And I think it's part of the reason why, it, like August, is big, right? Because it's kind of overlaying. It's it, it's an additional layer on top of a lock, essentially. Well, right, and so that's actually one of the things that I like about it is that this is essentially a retrofit for the lock hardware that you already have in your door. You're not replacing the lock itself. You're replacing the inside portion of the control mechanism. The outside portion stays the same. And that's a pretty clever way of handling things. I think it is. And I also think it's a way to sidestep um, some patents, <laughs> quite honestly, because let's let's face it, the lock world isn't new. I mean, I think the first lock, you'd have to go back to like maybe – a thousand years ago, some guy looked like an elf who designed it, or maybe a monk. Uh, so clearly, locks have been around for a long time. Um, and I think the you know there's three big lock manufacturers in the world, and so these guys probably have a lot of intellectual property that they're going to have to def- they're going to be defending. So I think August was smart to sidestep that. But the downside is it uh, it, it creates a chunky lock. The upside is um, for them at least, aside from stepping IP issues, is like you said, it doesn't necessarily require you turning screws to to the same degree as I had to do with my Kivo lock. Right, right. So pro- probably easier installation. Now another thing that I'm a little bit sour on right now is that the initial pricing is, in my opinion, kind of high. It's two hundred and fifty dollars. That is higher than the Kivo, and you're getting less hardware than you'd get with a Kivo, and. Um, I think that it's going to have a lot of competition in the market pretty soon. You know, you have the Goji lock that actually has a camera built into it. You have another of uh, a number of other products that are getting really good traction in various crowdfunding sites. So uh, this this space is exploding. Obviously, I just don't know where this one fits. Yeah, I'm with you on this. I don't know exactly. I mean, they had kind of the early buzz advantage um, and, you know, clearly with the big funding round and they were kind of one of the first really talking about it. But like Lockatron, uh, they I think people soured a little bit because they just taken a little while to get there. And Lockatron, uh, which did their own crowdfunding on their own site, is still not shipping uh, to 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 all the backers at this point. So I think people are kind of sour. So we'll we'll see. Uh, but like another, like, here's another category where I think is interesting, uh, where there's another entrant, and kind of moving on to the next story. Uh, you, you, I don't know if you saw this week that Simply Cam uh, has come out from the company who basically has been in the the kind of picture software space, ArcSoft. ArcSoft decided to deliver their own essentially Wi-Fi network cam, camera and monitoring solution to take on DropCam. Yeah, and, I did see this, and it, it's funny because. You wrote about this, and I honestly didn't pay it any mind until I saw your piece about it. Because I get so much junk from ArcSoft, I just immediately threw out the press release. <laughs> I didn't even pay any attention. And this is an interesting product. This is something that's competing directly with Dropcam and, frankly, trying to undercut them a little bit. Yeah, and it's actually, if you look at from a total cost of ownership perspective. And I think when you look at these things, I think you have to consider the cloud backs, kind of the cloud uh, storage and backup. It's, it's cheaper to get into because uh, it's $50 a year at kind of their base. They're kind of the lowest pricing 
to get a, a 24-hour archive compared with the lowest Dropcam uh, pricing for, for their cloud uh, subscription, which is $99 a year. And that gives you, admittedly, seven week, seven days of, of archive. But it's it's definitely competing. And it does have – and they're really kind of betting a lot on this differentiator of, of facial detection, which I do think is interesting. Um, I, and I do think you need a hook, um, and I think this is a good hook for them. Uh, I'm just uh, not – totally sure if like it's going to resonate to a huge degree with consumers but i do think it's at least an interesting hook for them well now one of the things that i think could make that really useful is if you can state that you only want to receive notifications if in fact it detects that a face is somewhat you know somewhere in view or that it identifies what it sees as a human because one of the biggest problems with cameras like this where you have monitoring and you get notifications if something's happening is that you get notifications because a bird flew by the window or your dog walked in front of the camera or something like that. And that's a problem that somebody needs to solve. And I thought I heard that the facial recognition is really intended to be a first step in that direction. Yeah, and just to be clear, facial detection is what you have at first. And they're working towards potential facial recognition. And the difference is, as you you know, uh, one is like you know it's a human face uh, with facial detection. With facial recognition, you know it's Richard. And uh, they're going to start with the first one, which is, I think, good. And I do think there is the ability to create rules around alerts. So you can do this, okay, um, why is there a man in my house? Um, or let me know if there's a man in my house because really there should only be my dog. And I think right. you can create those rules for those alerts. And I, I think that's useful. Yeah, Absolutely. And I, I'm trying to remember the – I think it may be Chewy, who I've talked to as well. They're the connected doorbell company that actually has facial – and I think it may be actually facial recognition. So you can actually create uh, a rules and alerts around the fact it's Richard at the door. And so I it, remember that interview. That was actually a really intriguing product. Yeah, I, and I do think that's interesting. And that's kind of a dark – that's a dark horse category that – it doesn't get as a lot of uh, as much buzz, but that's like a when you look around your home. And here's the here's the beauty of the smart home. I think that you can literally just look around your house for existing categories and say, you know what? If I added some intelligence and the ability to do something and create rules, connect from my connect from my phone, you can reinvent literally just so many areas. And I really do think the doorbell is one of those that people don't talk about as much. That it just makes so much sense. It does. I think one of the things though is that you have to be careful about people's sensitivity toward the security for a device like that, right? Facial detection and facial recognition are still fairly early technologies. A couple years ago, when I was working in the venture space, one of the companies that we were looking at was a company that 3D modeled a, a the image of a face so that it could use that as part of its detection mechanism for identifying you in combination with other biometrics and information that you knew. That's a great idea. I think that relying solely on facial recognition for security to a property is still dangerous in this day and age. I'm not convinced we're there yet. Yeah, and I think you're you're right on there. And also, I mean, there's only been more concern around privacy issues over the past few years versus just if you're talking about a couple of years ago when you're looking at this, I mean, I think with uh, the rise of the NSA and the creepiness of all the stuff that we see nowadays, I think if you, if you tell people that you have a, a kind of a, a Wi-Fi camera that actually can remember who you are, detect who you are, that might 
keep some people from coming over for dinner. <laughs> so I, I, th- I think, you know, that's one of the things that people were working through. And when I talked to Simply Cam, if you listen to the, the conversation, um, that's one of the things they're thinking about because it is a, it's a different ballgame to go from facial detection to facial recognition. And they recognize that. And so that's one of the things that they're working through is, is this something that you have to worry about uh, or at least consumers will worry about? And what is it, what else does it bring with it in terms of like additional concerns or privacy complications? Sure. Let's move on to the next story. Um, what do you do? You have any smart plugs in your house? Smart plugs? Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there's. By the way, it's one of those categories that seems to do really well in crowdfunding sites. I think there's been like <laughs> I don't know how many how, how many smart plug uh, Kickstarter campaigns are there. There's been a few, and I think one of them was Zuli. Yep. yep. Which did their initial Kickstarter, and they did fairly well. But uh, like so many companies that start on Kickstarter, uh, they went out and got another seed round. But what they got funding for, I think, is interesting. They did a smart plug with Bluetooth, uh, and the Bluetooth actually has looks like what it looks like to be the makings of mesh as well as some beacon functionality built in. So I think that's interesting if indeed yeah. they have that technology. Because I think, and I'd love to hear your opinion, but I really kind of see Bluetooth as becoming a really important technology in the smart home. Oh, absolutely. It's going to be huge. I mean, we know that... Bluetooth is really the basis of the iBeacon technology that Apple's using. There's little doubt that that's going to be a part of the play for the home from Apple. And I honestly believe that many of these devices that are using Bluetooth are are just starting to tap the capabilities that that technology offers. This is a really interesting product because, frankly, you've been able to buy plug-in modules that control things in your home for nearly 40 years now, you know? This is not new technology, but the the way this is built and the things that it can potentially do, I think, are what's interesting. They're looking at using this mesh network and the ability for these devices to communicate each other with each other to help detect your presence, to help your devices know if there's anyone around. So maybe if not, maybe the devices should just be turned off automatically. That's a pretty nice way of saving some energy or having a much smarter home. That is, in fact, automation, not just control. You know, it seems like everyone's getting money, Richard. Another company got more <laughs> money this week was uh, If This Then That, IFTTT, uh, got a boatload of money. Yeah. $30 million. Uh, the couple of brothers, they're kind of the, uh, the, the two brothers who founded it, um, the kind of secretive brothers, uh, got a lot of money for this – company that really is kind of a rules and how do you how do you explain ifttt you know i i love this this i'm i'm just smiling so big right now as we're talking about this this really was it's it it strikes me as this kind of scrappy (laughs) little company that said hey you know what we should come up with ways of making these services talk to each other we should we should figure out how to bridge these things and it it didn't even really start out as a way of connecting devices so much as it did services. And over time, more and more manufacturers who have been creating devices are starting to tie into IFTTT. So generally, IFTTT is a rules engine. Yep. It is a, you know, the, the basics of logic gates where you say, if this happens, then I want that to happen. So if, for example... I walk into a room with a device on, like my up band that I'm wearing, then 
uh, and uh, it's a certain time of day, then maybe turn on the lights. Or if my Nest thermostat goes above 80 degrees, then notify me through Twitter. I mean, all the things that it can do and all the services that it can touch are just growing and growing. And I love to hear that they're getting some significant funding to really take this and make it something big and scalable and wonderful. Yeah, I agree. It's interesting. I love your explanation or description of logic gates uh, as kind of a good descriptor of what they are. I mean, they're kind of like, I mean, we need kind of a connective tissue between uh, not only the web services um, and kind of consumer facing web stuff that we all use, but with the hardware and they're trying to be that they're trying to be the things that the kind of the software glue that allows you to do instructions and, and kind of rules around connecting, like you said, Twitter with your Philips Helite or, or whatever. And I think that's a really interesting play. It's a little, it's definitely differentiated from some of the other software platforms out there, like kind of cloud backend solutions, like the greenways of the world. They're definitely differentiated. And I think it's an interesting play and, and they really talked about this funding, how they really want to move further into the Internet of Things. So like you said, they started kind of connecting web services, and now they really see connecting to the physical world as the next big step for them. I think that's such a smart move. But make no mistake, right now, this is a geek's product. Oh, this absolutely. is not absolutely. an every person service. And I think if they're smart, they'll look at ways that they can – either license or leverage the service that they're offering to third parties that could integrate it and make it uh, you know, more invisible, just, just make it work as a part of the, the product logic. You know, One of the things that I've talked about a lot is that some of these hubs have all sorts of control across a bunch of different devices, but they don't have really good logic engines. The logic is, in many cases, very limited. And if they could do something where they partnered with a company that focuses on that logic and offer ways of providing customers with more complex and more useful scenarios that they could define for their home devices, I think that would be a huge win. Absolutely. And like you said, it, it is a geek's product today, but like I think creating a user-friendly kind of WYSIWYG UI that layers on top um, built around a, a kind of an interesting consumer hardware experience. Uh, that's huge. I mean, imagine if, if like, you know, Apple comes out next week or whenever and says, hey, we're, we have a partnership with IFTTT and that they integrate with HomeKit. I mean, imagine the power of that, right? I mean, the power of an Apple and what they can do from a user experience standpoint with IFTTT. I mean, just the, the, the possibilities are really uh, kind of mind-boggling. And like right today, it, it is almost like a developer's tool, but it's a little bit friendlier because people who are not coders can use it. But it's right. not—it's not far from that. But we really need to make it so where, uh, you know, my wife or 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 someone who's not technical can use it. Agreed, agreed. But this is great news. So I'm really looking forward to see what's next from them. Well, I kind of teased it uh, around the Apple stuff, but I all of a sudden this week, <laughs> and we've all seen this come, right? We've all kind of seen, okay, Apple is going to do something with wearables at some point, and it's a little bit later than I thought. Like I literally thought last September they could have, but you know, unlike Samsung, they don't rush products to market, um, and they, they they really kind of like to get things fully baked out of the oven. 
Uh, and, and I think that everyone's kind of waiting because there's so much riding on the Apple iWatch. And so the rumors are this week that they're going to come out with an iWatch or we'll talk about it at the September 9th event when they introduce a new iPhone. And the interesting piece of news, at least from a smart home perspective, is that it will be integrated with HomeKit and HealthKit. Because I actually think HealthKit is part of the, uh, the broader story here, which is interesting. And and so there's so much riding on this from a wear, both a wearables perspective and a smart home perspective. So I think everyone's just kind of holding their breath to see what they do. Yeah. Um, you know, I find this really interesting. Now, is anybody reporting this as fact besides Recode at this point? They came out from almost anyone else. I would probably put a little less credence to it, but I feel like Recode kind of has a really good track record uh, yeah. about kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah, I don't know if anyone else really – they seem like they were ground zero this week for that, that particularly the HomeKit and HealthKit uh, tie-ins. Yeah, absolutely. But it's just so funny that the way this is written, it's only a short little bit, and the way that it's written is just fact. Yeah, you know, it, was, not, it was kind of like, a, here's a sum up of the news. By the way, it's going to integrate this. And like, I was looking for a story to that it would link to, but there's nothing else beyond that. And right. they, like, they have this major story that they just put as part of like a wrap-up. Not according to sources, not based on information yeah, we've yeah, heard. Yeah. I mean, there's just, there's no reference whatsoever. And the other thing that gets me about this, I, I, I would consider this fact if it were written by Malt. By Walt. Oh, but absolutely. I, I mean, he it's has, hard. Yeah. He I, has the tightest relationship with Apple of any technology journalist. I mean, he's the only guy. It was on a few journals that, that Jobs would actually invite in. Yeah, I, I agree. Walt, if it came from Walt, then it, it could be basically stated as, as pure fact. So let's bat this around a little bit. What do you think this thing is really going to be? Do you think it's a band? Do you think it's a watch? The fact that we've seen... No evidence of any sort of uh, manufacturing output for something like this. And maybe that's because we don't know what to look for yet. But the fact that nothing has been reported in terms of parts being produced or whatever, it's hard to imagine this unless this is something like what they did with the original iPhone or the original Apple TV where they gave us a six-month-ahead preview of this is something we're going to be yeah. coming up with later. Well, I think you're right on there. And one one story I did include in our, our show notes uh, that I just saw on TechMeme is, and I think it's from Recode, Recode is that uh, the the iWatch will not ship till early 2015. Wherever they're going to build this thing, I think they probably – this thing is such top secret that they haven't gone that far. Um, and so I think that's part of the story. Now, what do I think – this thing will be, I actually think it'll be a very fashion forward, uh, beautiful piece of jewelry that they, I wouldn't rule out them working with someone like Swatch or like a, a true Swiss watch manufacturer. I can see them partnering with a watch designer to give them that street cred. Now, Apple, Apple can stand alone on its own as like a, a lifestyle and fashion brand. I think they're probably the maybe one of the one or two technology companies that can do that. I mean, if, if this was right. let's, make no mistake, if this was HP coming out with an iWatch, <laughs> they would almost need uh, to pay a billion dollars to a Swatch or someone to say, "Hey, you we des- you design this thing because no one would wear an HP uh, smartwatch uh, as a fashion statement, right?" But I think with right. Apple, you know, there are fashionable people who consider themselves truly fashionable will put this on and say, "Hey, this is this thing is really cool." So I think it's going to be nice looking. I think it'll pro- it could very well be something where they work with a partner like Swatch. Um, 
and I think it's going to be built around a modified version of iOS. Um, and I do think it's going to tie into their new initiatives. I think there's a reason why at Worldwide Developer Conference they, they talked about HomeKit, they talked about HealthKit, um, and they didn't announce anything of their own. Um, and I think that this is going to be a device that integrates with that. And we can go into all sorts of scenarios around how that makes it really interesting, but I do think it makes it really interesting, uh, both from like, okay, this is a watch that can act as a user interface. It can act as kind of a my personal way to kind of show my home what I'm doing. It's just so many possibilities here. Absolutely. You know, I used the example when we were talking about if this, then that, of a band that I'm wearing, because I, I think that is such an obvious use case. You have a band or something on you that is almost always on you. I mean, my up band is on me, except when I shower. Other than that, it's always on me, right? When I sleep, when I'm awake. And if you have a device like that, that is tied into your communication to your device, the devices in your home it can be your your presence monitor you know it it's it's the thing that lets your home know not only if you're home but where you are in your home again using iBeacon technology and then wrap into that all the types of things that you can do with um i don't know have you been to disneyland and seen the new bands that they have that you wear as tickets now yeah absolutely i mean that- Disney like is always ahead on this stuff and you're totally right on with that. You know, and that's not even getting into how could this also be a great accessory for your phone? Uh, The possibilities I think are incredible. I'm very excited about it. I'm, I'm, (laughs) it, it kills me that I have, I have quite a few really, really nice watches, like high end pieces of men's jewelry watches and it's probably going to get me in a heap of trouble if I end up instead wearing like this four or five hundred device dollar device on my arm instead of my really nice jewelry watches. <laughs> four or five hundred bucks? You think it'll be that much? I don't think this is going to be an inexpensive device by any means. Well, and I think that actually could be played to their advantage, right? I mean, when you think about the original iPhone, it was. I mean, what did it come out at? Is five or five or six hundred? Six hundred dollars. A lot of money. And it, but you know if they had they had it like that for the first maybe six months I know they dropped the price but I'm sure that a lot of people came in and bought that thing and you know, I bought one like, yeah there's a million there's a couple million built in Apple people that'll buy anything they put out and so <laughs> why why not put it a thousand bucks to start because you know that Richard would go out and buy it or people who are crazy about Apple would go out and buy it yeah I I don't know I think pricing is going to be tricky I honestly expect something around four or five hundred dollars so we'll have to see where that lands but this is you know this is cool I I hope this really is happening I hope this announcement is going to be on as part of the announcement on the ninth and we don't have to wait too long to find out that's Barely a week away. I know. I can't believe it. Well, let's move on to the last piece in news. This is one you brought with you. Uh, and this is from, uh, man, what is Dave Zatz just must spend all day looking for interesting tweets. He unearthed stuff. He's, he's uncanny. And he unearthed this actually by, I think, physically being in a store. Did he see the GE Link bulb at a Home Depot? He did indeed. You know, he was just on my most recent episode of Home On. And I said to him before we started, you are like the most prolific blogger and 
Twitter person of anyone that I follow as far as being able to catch all of the goodies, like being able to find the nuggets of the product that's available or the information about the the TiVo thing that nobody knows about yet. In fact, I think it was it was Dave who uh, had the first information out about the peak stuff. So, you know, he just recently, in fact, I think today, uh, found the link bulb at the Home Depot stores. This is the $15 Zigbee GE bulb that works with the Wink system. This wasn't expected until uh, a little bit later into the month. I think we were we were expecting maybe the first or second week of September. So it's already available in some stores, and that's pretty cool. You guess where I'm going to be this afternoon? Yeah, it's really the cheapest smart bulb on the market, if it's already on the market. I mean, that was what really was surprising about the $15, because, I mean, Philips Hue, certainly, they're more in the $40, $50 range. So, uh, And GE, make no mistake, GE is a big company. And and so if they're and we I think we've known that GE's going big on the smart home for a while. I mean I clear I think their close relationship with with Wink and, and Quirky is an example of that. I mean if you talk to different parts of of, of GE, IoT and smart home are, are big on their mind. If you've been waiting for a smart bulb, this is one to go by if you want to get in. Yeah, now I'm a big stickler for color quality on LED bulbs, so this is something that I want to check out right away. I know that it's taken a lot of companies a long time to get that right mix, to get that right feel for a bulb that's going to be in your home and is going to have use in multiple rooms around the home. So this is by far the cheapest. It's $15, and it's expected to be a 2700 Kelvin. That's a warm white bulb in a 60-watt equivalent. You know, the closest product to that cost-wise is about – 23 or $24, and that's the TCP-connected bulb also available at Home Depot. Curiously, Home Depot now also sells the white Hue Lux bulbs, and those cost, I forget if it's $30 or $40. I think they were supposed to be $40. They actually hit the shelves at $30. So we're definitely seeing prices coming down, and we're definitely seeing better and better quality products out there. And the GE Link bulb is tied in with the Link Hub. Do you know if it has its own standalone app? I believe it has to work through the hub. Okay. I don't think this can yeah, be makes sense. used without Especially the if hub. Especially if it's a Zigbee thing. Um, I know that with some of the Wink stuff, if it's Wi-Fi only, you could go direct with an app. And if it was like a Wi-Fi only thing, that would make more sense. But yeah, because it's Zigbee, it's probably relying on the Wink stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, well, Richard, thanks so much for uh, spending time with me. Where can people find you? Well, as you mentioned earlier, I host a show at the Digital Media Zone called Home On. It is a podcast that is really tailored more toward DIY and enthusiasts of home automation and home control products. I also co-host a show called Entertainment 2.0, where we talk about entertainment technology. And you can find all of those over at thedigitalmediazone.com. Awesome. Yeah. And I, if, if I knew you that you were heavily into entertainment, I would have thrown out another couple topics, but we'll say, <laughs> we'll say those for another podcast because uh, I think there's some fun stuff going on there as well. But thanks so much. If anyone hasn't listened to Richard's podcast, you definitely should. And Richard, as you guys can see, is a, is a smart, smart guy. Not as cranky as I hoped. I thought maybe you're going to throw like a, 
I threw some stuff against the wall today, but you didn't get, <laughs> you didn't get too angry. So no, I did that earlier. <laughs> hey, Richard, thanks a lot, man. Have a great weekend. All right, thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Richard Gunther, and I hope you enjoyed these weekly wrap ups. I hope to do these almost every week. So sign up for more Smart Home Shows if you want to hear these and keep up to date on what's happening in the space because lots is happening, folks. Just go to technology.fm, look for the Smart Home Show, or look for the Smart Home Show on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Thanks again, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Oh.